Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David." Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Lord. These words of yours have life in them, so would you come and, and bring fresh insight as uh, we examine what they have to say to us today. In Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning. Do you take a seat? Great to have you with us, especially if you're visiting or it's your first time in our new location. It's, uh, you all look glorious, and that's primarily because of the light shining into my eyes. I can only see, you know, I can't see any blemishes among you, so well done. If only we had this light everywhere we went. Um, so we're in our second week of six, where we're looking at the values of St. Bart's. So most churches will tell you what the vision is, and, and that's great, you know, what, what is it we're, we feel God's calling us to do? But as important as the vision are the values, the pillars that hold up the church. And last week we looked at authenticity uh, as the first value. The second value we're looking at this morning is hospitality. And for your convenience, they are included in the bulletin. How's that? So you can look over there uh, at the back. You can see. And the first thing that leaps out in all of these values, and we'll see it in the passages we have this morning, is that the values all begin with God, right? So authenticity is about what God, our response to what God has done. Our value of hospitality is all about our response to what God has done. So you see here, God has welcomed us and called us to himself So we invite the people of East Dallas to connect with God and with his people. What does hospitality look like in God's kingdom? We've got a rough sketch here in words, but let's flesh it out. Is it entertaining? Um, One of my, um, I don't know if it's a dirty habit, but I love the HGTV. I love watching the cooking shows. And then I start to think when they present it to the people who are gonna eat, would I really wanna be there at that table? You know, um, and usually it's yes, because of what they're about to eat. And as you can tell, I love to eat. Um, you know, entertaining and hospitality are quite different, aren't they? Uh, entertaining is about setting the perfect menu. It's about having everything spotless and perfect. The, the priest who trained me in pretty much everything I know in London, wonderful man t- by the name of Tim Mayfield, 
we were hosting a, uh, an evening, a soiree, if you will, for uh, team leaders of this course. We're doing the Alpha course, and we were tidying up the kitchen. I was helping him. He was a bachelor at the time. And he saw there was a light fixture out in the uh, kitchen, so we replaced the light bulb and it illuminated a whole bunch of, <laughs> well, part of the kitchen needed to be cleaned. So I was amazed what Tim did is he reached up and put the old light bulb back in and oh, it was gone. You know, we just didn't see it. Because there's something about entertaining, isn't it, that makes us feel like we've got to do, we've got to strive, we've got to work to make it perfect. Uh, the wardrobe's got to look awesome. You don't just wear anything, right? Uh, we were once invited to uh, a party and um, the, the dress code was dapper smart. And I just, I couldn't understand what it meant. So I wore black, which, you know, as I do now, which is slimming, which was helpful to me. But it's about having <clears throat> the kind of event or the kind of evening where you become the talk of the town. You know, that's kind of the, the spirit sometimes behind entertaining. The experience you offered your guests makes you sought after. Entertaining in this way, uh, not all entertainings like this, but this is the kind of entertaining that I have known in my life. It's costly in terms of money, it's costly in terms of time. It's exhausting and requires a considerable amount of striving. But hospitality is modeled by Jesus and modeled by the early church is very different. It's about creating a space of grace for people to enter into. It's not so much about inviting them to a perfect evening, but inviting them into your life so they can experience what's at the very center of your life. And that's the challenge. Because what is at the center of your life? Well, for Jesus, it was his love for the Father. For the early church, it was their radical devotion to Jesus that led them to do things in a way that was counterintuitive to the culture. And that's the call to you and I, is to, by responding to what God has done by inviting him, by his invitation to us, that we would seek to invite people, host them, whatever kind of venue, format, so that they experience what's at the very center of our lives. Religious systems, not just, you know, in Texas, but around the world, tend to operate in a way where there are three B's at work, right? And, and, and this is kind of old school, the culture's changed now, and some have adapted, but there used to be three uh, things you had to go through to be, to, be, to be part of the community. The first one is you had to behave a certain way. There are certain things you did and you didn't do. And then you had to believe something. So the first is behave, the second is believe, and then you would belong. And that was the rite of passage, your behavior conform to a certain standard. Your belief in the right things and your ability to, to signal certain things in conversation meant that you were okay and there was a space for you here. And that meant that you were suddenly part of the in crowd. Well, why hospitality is so key is Jesus modeled to us that he turns it all on its head. And if you look at his pattern and the way he did things with strangers, he kind of messes with the formula. The first thing he does is he blesses people. 
people who are strangers who, who, you know, I don't, you know, it's, and when did people start to believe in Jesus is a good question, you know, but so before their belief was locked in, he blessed them. And not only did he bless them, he invited them to come and experience something of God. So there was blessing and invitation to belong. And as they experience his love, they begin to believe. And as a result of that, the behavior begins to change. So many of us, so many people in Dallas have had a church experience. What I've learned in the eight years being here in Dallas is that not all of that experience has been helpful or encouraging. You may have heard it said that God loves us so much, he takes us as we are. And because of that love, he doesn't leave us as we are. And the mistake that the church has made is that it has felt that it's, it's the church's role to change how you are and how you behave, which, you know, leads to all kinds of mess, stuff that shouldn't be done. And I think what's so beautiful about the early church is they realized that they had no power to change anyone. I have no ability to change any of your lives. That's not my role. God does it. What we do here is create a space for you to meet with him. And that's the key to hospitality. So that yes, God invites us to come as we are, which we'll see in a moment in the text. And he takes us as we are. And then as his love pours into your life, as his hope pours into our lives, things begin to change. And so if, if you've experienced church leadership that has overstepped and tried to change you, I'm really sorry. That was never God's intent. Now we're here to guide, to coach, to lead, to pray, but not to crush anyone's spirit so that they conform to a certain pattern. Hospitality is about creating a space of grace where the stranger can enter and become a friend. Friendship is the goal. Hospitality is not about changing people, but to offer them a space where change can take place. It's not to bring men and women over to our side, but to offer them an encounter with Jesus. So let's turn to the text. It's in your, it's in your uh, bulletin on page Oh, moves around on me so much. Uh, yes, right here, page six. And so let's start with this, this first reading from Isaiah 55, verses one to three. Very, very short few uh, verses, but leads to such a bigger picture of the message of the kingdom that Jesus came to bring about. And it begins, come. And this, this invitation to everyone who's, who thirsts has a sense of urgency about it. Now, the urgency has different ways different things about it. There's, there's the urgency of, of eminent threat, and there's the urgency of I've just discovered something awesome. And it's unclear as to what the invitation is, but we know both fit. The invitation, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. So there's a different economy that takes place, a different currency in the kingdom which doesn't depend on your material possessions, but depends upon the hunger and thirst in your heart. 
so you can come and buy with what you do not have. So the prophet is addressing a deep spiritual longing to seek the Lord. Thirst is not a problem but an opportunity in the way this is written. And in order to find Jesus, all you need to do is thirst. And he will come to you and invite you to him. And then verse 2, it gets interesting, doesn't it? Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? So here Isaiah is exposing how costly striving is. He's exposing how costly it is to try to earn favor, earn the love of God. And here he says in verse 2, listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. He's talking about a banquet. A banquet where we're all on the edge of our seats just leaning in and say, tell us a bit more of that story. You know, tell us more. Tell us what it's like. And it's what Luke picks up on in our gospel reading. So let's move over to that. Here he says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that last thing, they who have ears, let them hear, is a link right back to Isaiah 55. So there's an invitation that Jesus is saying where salt is important. And now the salt here came from the Dead Sea, and apparently salt in the Dead Sea had impurities, which if not processed properly would leave a poor taste in your mouth or could actually worsen the food. Um, they think it's to do with gypsum, but I'm not really a geologist, so I'll, I'll stay in my lane. Um, it, makes the, it becomes useless and unusable. And what Jesus is saying to the disciples that if you don't get what I'm saying, you're gonna be like the salt that makes things worse. So it's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? So we see Jesus painting a picture for them about how the kingdom is different than religion. And if they don't get it, then they won't be, they'll be just like the rest. And so in verse one of chapter 15, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. So the call's gone out, come, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And who comes? Not the religious elite, the bishops, the archbishops, the, the, the people with all the religious status. No, the people you wouldn't expect come, the tax collectors and the sinners. They were all drawing near to hear him And what this reveals to us is Jesus became incredibly popular with the outcasts of society. They're the ones who had ears to hear. The outcasts of society. The tax collectors, you may already know this, forgive me for repeating if they do, but tax collectors did what you would expect. They collected tax. They collected tolls, tariffs, and customs, and were notoriously dishonest. 
and notoriously despised. They are not, they are not told to quit their profession, but they're told to make their living by cheating their own people. So not very popular. And then who are the sinners? Well, the Pharisees and the scribes uh, would have regarded sinners as anyone who failed to keep God's law as they interpreted it. And the term here seems to reflect a calmly understood meaning of being, of including people who are guilty of publicly known sin and others who don't keep the strict purity laws. So they might eat shellfish. Unlikely because there wasn't refrigeration and it would have killed them, but you know, or they might, they're just not very up to code on this, on the religious practices. So they're sinners. They're outcasts. They're never, they're told over and over again that they're not welcome in God's place of worship. And so here we see this religious establishment has a code of behavior that a person had to conform to in order to be welcomed and received by God. Who were the Pharisees? Well, they were a fellowship of laymen who were popular with the common people and connected to local synagogues. And they were chiefly characterized by their ability to stick to extra biblical traditions, which they rigorously obeyed as a means of applying to the law of daily life. So they created all of these extra requirements and fulfilled them really well, which may enable them to show that they were better than everyone else because of their purity. And so the question comes to Jesus earlier in Luke, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? They accuse Jesus of being a drunkard and a glutton because he's always feasting. He's always inviting people to the table and he's associating himself with the wrong people. Table fellowship implied welcoming people into an extended interpersonal association. You can see here how Jesus is trying to weave in his understanding and his father's goal of bringing people into the family. Because when you invited someone to eat with them, it wasn't just, hey, let's have a bite to eat. It's, no, no, I'm associating with you and I'm willing for my reputation to be affected by your presence at the table and vice versa. So the Pharisees were losing their minds because here is someone claiming to be the son of God who was sitting with people who are unclean, which they couldn't understand because they thought that somebody's impurity would, could infect somebody else's impurity and they didn't realize that the love of Jesus is so strong that instead of being infected by somebody else's impurity, his love and the presence of God overpowers the impurity and goes the other way into their lives. Just as Jesus would cleanse the leper rather than being made unclean by the leper, so Jesus brings sinners and tax collectors into the very presence of God instead of being corrupt and defiled. So here we see it. He's blessing, inviting people to belong, and then their beliefs begin to change. 
and their behavior begins to change. Just think with me for a moment with the woman at the well. I know we didn't have it read to us, but Jesus is in Samaria, different part. Ethnically, there's a difference. So there's a racial barrier. Jesus has every excuse not to speak to her, every excuse to walk on by. She's alone, it's high noon. Men in that day did not talk to women publicly in that kind of scenario. She has a different racial background, she has a different religious background, and he's tired and hungry. When I'm tired and hungry, like my vision just locks down and I can't see anything in front of me except my next meal, which is why I'm so thrilled that, you know, heaven's gonna be a banquet and I'm never gonna be hungry again. It's just gonna be great. That's a little bit levity. There may be more. But what Jesus does is even though he's tired and hungry and there are all these barriers, he moves towards her. He sits next to her and he engages her on her own terms. My grandmother, who died at 104, who was married to a priest, um, my grandfather was an Anglican priest, and she used to say that hospitality covers a multitude of sins. And I remember one Christmas, I was home early, and I was reading uh, Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace, had just come out, and she at that stage was blind. And so I sat with her for a month, and I just read to the, this book to her chapter by chapter. and, and um, she says to me this verse, hospitality covers a multitude of sins. And, you know, I'm in seminary, so I decided to correct her, which was a mistake. And I said, you know, I really believe the verse in 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 8, says that love covers a multitude of sins. And the thing with my grandmother is she never knew who was coming to a meal. Whether it was a prearranged ideal or not, I don't know. But my grandfather was always bringing people home to eat, you know, so, and, you know, they had four children, and so when you suddenly have nine at a table instead of six, it's kind of a bit of a deal, right? Um, and, uh, but they were always in this, and they were reputed as having these most wonderful evenings when this stuff would happen, and so there I am, I challenged my grandmother, and I said, I believe the verse is, love covers a multitude of sins, and, you know, she didn't skip a beat, she said, I suppose you're right, but when you have them to your table, isn't that an expression of love? I thought that was pretty good. So what is hospitality? It's about welcoming the stranger on their own terms. The kind of, hospita the kind of hospitality, this kind of hospitality, can really only be offered by those who found the center of their lives in their own hearts, who aren't afraid, who aren't put off by what the other might think or do or believe. In Jesus, we see a different way because he was able to fully receive and fully reflect the love of his Father. And that's what was at the center of his life. It enabled him to bless the stranger who didn't meet any religious standard and invite them into a space of grace. Henry Nouwen said this, which I just absolutely love. He says, hospitality is the virtue 
which allows us to break through the narrowness of our own fears and to open our houses and invite people to become friends. We do it with the intuition that salvation comes to us sometimes in the form of a tired traveler. Hospitality makes anxious disciples into powerful witnesses, makes suspicious owners into generous givers, and makes close-minded sectarians into interested recipients of new ideas and insights. So, hospitality. That's why we do pastorates. That's why we do the St. Bart's Fest coming up on October 3rd. We hope you can join us. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wild. And it's also why, you know, just to be in, go into application, it's why there's so much of this focuses really on the state of our hearts and where we are where we are with the Lord. And there's a, there's a, there's a spectrum here, isn't it? And there's, there isn't a standard you have to meet. You know, that was the whole point of this. But it's about being willing to receive more from Jesus. And so as we've been thinking about this and thinking about the people we don't yet have here at Redeemer, teenagers, we are thinking of and praying about holding a youth alpha course. Because, I, you know, I don't know, maybe my oldest son's ahead of the curve and begin his high school thinking and middle school. But, you know, he doesn't want me to convince him of anything. And I can't. Um, and I've said to him things I probably shouldn't. Like, Ethan, I'm reasonably educated. I think I know this. And it doesn't matter. And I said, and I've said, Ethan, I have three the, uh, university degrees. He says, so? You know, it's like, what is this? And the reason why we want to do Alpha for teenagers is because of where we are in East Dallas, where family is so key. And we are still getting the kinks ironed up in our children's ministry and we want to make sure that we create a space for those children and for teenagers to come in and to explore the big questions without the fear that anyone's gonna to try to convince them of anything. And what's great about Alpha is that it centers around food, which should win some teenagers. It's centered around food. Hospitality is the main key. And there's a short talk that happens by video. And then after that, there's a discussion that takes place. And the video is the only moment where we tell anyone what we believe. And in the discussion group, we want to hear what they're thinking and give them the freedom to ask their questions and go from there. So that's what we really were feeling led to do. And we need... Your, your help, your advice, your insight, um, especially if you know any teenagers who might be interested. Now, the time, date, and location is still up in the air. We wouldn't presume to know what's best for people. The church has made that mistake before. 
Uh, we're not going to presume on this. And so if there are teenagers in your orbit who you think might be interested, I'm going to ask you to, uh, in the back here, in the connection card, it just tears out of the bulletin, just like that, just to write down, say, for Dave, and just put down, I may have a lead. Or put down Youth Alpha, I'd like to talk, because we're going to need a team and some other things. But we really, really have a sense that this is where the Lord is leading. Um, and in closing, I want to share with you one of the things that I have learned so much about hospitality, which was not my idea. Um, it really was, you know, the first Sunday we didn't meet publicly um, at the very beginning of the pandemic, like around March 7th or 8th. Uh, it was the first Sunday morning at home, not having to do two services. And I was just uh, sipping coffee and we kind of were out in the back porch and and Rachel and the boys were there, and they had the idea, this is very important, they had the idea of somehow communicating with everyone in our street. Now, we'd lived in that property, in our house, for three or four years, and we didn't really know anyone. And so, um, Ethan and Rachel said, let's just put a leaflet in everyone's letterbox. And then... They, we figured out that if they drew on it, did a picture, it's more likely for the recipient to read it. And uh, Rachel's idea was let's hold a socially distant happy hour at the front of our house at 5 o'clock on Sunday night. And so that's what they wrote out. We, they wrote out. And I was like, oh, that should be interesting. We'll see how this works. And um, I was kind of like the Pharisee in that situation, thinking, what, what are you doing? This is going to work. But I didn't say that publicly. And uh, we moved, we bought a picnic table, put it in the front of our house. We brought the kids' stuff, the dollhouse or whatever it's called, and the teeter-totter. We put it at the front of the house. And at 5 o'clock, we were there. And one by one, people came out of their house and um, came down. It was kind of an awkward gathering because everyone's trying to stay six feet away and fear, the, you know, all that was going on. And um, one of the challenging things about coming to St. Bart's in last March for our family was that your service met at five o'clock. And that was when we had our happy hour, which had been going on at that point for a year. And um, we'd gotten to know everyone pretty much on our street. And um, people who's, you know, in some ways I have no idea what they believe or where they are. But in meeting with them, honestly, be, I, I kind of love them to the point now where I get a cold call of would I entertain a cash offer for my house? Anyone else get those? I'm just saying a million dollars would be great because that's probably what it would take for me to move out, not of my house, but of my neighborhood. And I didn't think of it. And so just the other day, one of our neighbors came up and said, you know, now that your church has moved to Sunday morning, could we start doing that five o'clock thing again? I was like, wow, something's happening. And all we were is present. And one of them has come to church. And that's great. But that wasn't the goal to convince them. It was just to be present, to love them, and see what the Lord would do. So I say that because I haven't got this figured out. And I'm not the best at it. My default is to entertain. My default is try to earn someone's love by showing them a good time. So it got me into trouble in college for another time. I'll tell you that story. But Jesus leads us into a place of hospitality where we create a space of grace for people to come into. And that's what you've come into today. 
is a space of grace prepared for you to simply receive. So why don't we stand? I'm going to pray, and then we'll carry on with our service. Lord, thank you for the way that you've invited us into a space of grace today. And we pray for those of us in our midst who especially need your grace. We pray for those we know who are sick. We ask for your healing. We pray for those for whom work is very hard. And we pray, Lord, for your presence to be made known in their lives. And Lord Jesus, as we respond to what you've done in our lives, would you help us to grow in hospitality and help us to slow down that we might be present and help us, Lord, to receive more of your love that we might make your love known to others. In Christ's name we pray, amen.